Thank you so much for joining us at Gold Country Church in Auburn. We are excited to share this message with you and hope you are encouraged by it. Join us in person at 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. All right, so um, so this morning, guys, we're going to look at a couple texts. All right, we're going to look at a couple texts. Um, between Acts chapter 6 and Psalm chapter 46. But before we do that, uh, I hope you guys are finding places in life and opportunities in life to laugh, right? And it seems like that there is not a lot to laugh at, a lot, especially if you turn on the news. Oh my gosh, so grim. But at the same time, uh, being able to just stop, pause, reflect, and hopefully laugh, whether that's at yourself, right, or whether that's at... uh, friends and family, or just something funny that you see online, uh, laugh. Man, it is so good for your soul. So there, there was one thing that I am excited about in the midst of all of this, and that is that uh, America is finally coming around, and I have a slide to prove it, um, and that's, that is this as it relates to soccer, um, that sports fans in America would even watch soccer at this point. Right, and so uh, for that matter, I, I I am so happy. Right, finally, you guys are coming around. Finally, I knew I knew that America at some point would get it. Pastor Craig, I pray each day for you um, that you as well will begin to come around uh, and see the world sport, God's football, actually. So, lest you think I am here to talk only about soccer, you are not. I am not. And uh, hey, Nate. How you doing, bud? All right. There we go. All right. So um, here, let me start by just talking about what my main point is about uh, with the couple texts. And because I believe, guys, um, that the Bible, it can bring our hearts and our minds to a place of self-reflection as we look at these two sections of Scripture, a place of perspective, a place of encouragement, And ultimately hope no matter what our life circumstance is. And because I believe this, that a main point of what we're going to be looking at today is that the Bible will show you that no matter where you are in life, that if your source of hope is the Holy Spirit, is Christ Jesus, then it has the ability to give us the right perspective, no matter what what life throws at you. No matter what life throws at you. Now let let me throw a little disclaimer out there. And by no means am I saying that life is a formula. Right, meaning do this or don't do that. Right, do do the right things, but don't do the bad things. Don't do all the bad things. Um, then equals God will bless your life. Right, and, and life will be worry free. Right, actually, actually, as I read through the Bible, uh, it's quite the opposite, honestly. Uh, but but that's a whole other talk. And I'm talking about a hope and a perspective in life that when, not if, but when. Life's storms rage worse. We have a refuge and a hope in God who is faithful and true to his promises. Right? But before we get into looking at these two texts, talking about those those thoughts, let me pray real quick. Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit, man, we are just in need of you every minute of every day. And Lord, we ask that this morning you might invade our lives, our hearts, our minds this morning. Lord, that you would just give us a peace, a sense of peace. 
peace that transcends all understanding, peace that only you can provide. And so, Father, we love you. We worship you this day. In your name, amen. So as I was saying, it's all about perspective. And the first text we're going to look at is Psalms chapter 46, and I'm going to read it to you, right? And it begins this way, chapter 46, starting at verse 1. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. And I could just stop there and end the service, right? Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of sea, of the sea, though its waters roar and the foam of the mountains quake with their surging, nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall, he lifts his voice, the earth melts. Verse 7 says, the Lord Almighty is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. Then verse 10, a very popular verse, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And many, many um, theologians believe that this psalm, this song was, was written when the Assyrian army was laying siege against Jerusalem. And you can read the whole context. We're not getting into that. That's 2 Kings chapter 19. Check it out. Read about it. It's pretty awesome. But this psalm was probably sang to celebrate, celebrate a remarkable victory of God over the Assyrian army. So that's kind of the context that's what's going on there. And I want to skip forward, though, in verse 10. Why was the writer of Psalm 46 be able to say, be still and know I am God? In the midst of chaos, in the midst of a battle, in the midst of the Assyrian army laying siege to Jerusalem, in the midst of chaos and unrest, I believe because, the, because they knew the Lord Almighty was with them. And he knew the God of Israel, his fortress. The word know there in the Greek is actually the Greek word gnosko. And it's an experiential knowledge to know, to experience him. Not just read about him. Yes, that's great. But to experientially know the God of Jacob, the God of Israel. And so this morning, in the comfort of your home home, yes, possibly even in your own PJs, we have access to that same refuge and strength. And the interesting thing is that, that God does not promise to keep us from the storms. He just promises to be our refuge in the midst of the storms. And this morning, we serve the same God of Israel and Stephen, which is the second text that we're going to look at. And I know I'm jumping forward here, but Acts chapter 6 through 8 was what I was assigned. So we're going to go through two chapters today. And I, they told me I have about an hour and a half to talk, so um, we'll spend some time on that. Not really. But there's three quick things, guys, that I wanted to point out here. Three thick, uh, quick things I wanted to show you that when you see this story, when you hear this story, when you read it, and you can read that whole context, six through eight, you see multiple times that there's this character named Stephen, and it is mentioned that he is filled with the Holy Spirit. And what does that look like, right? What does that look like? Well, I believe a life that's full of the Holy Spirit in this text, does three things. First, and we'll look, we'll look at him. First, we're full of prayer. When you're full of the Holy Spirit, you're full of prayer. You're talking to God, right? You're talking to him. I mean, you don't have to get on your knees and bow your, your head and close your eyes. You're just talking. You're talking. Not only full of prayer, but you're full of compassion, right? You're, you're full of, of just loving others. Why? Because you are loving God first. And then lastly, we'll see that you're full of forgiveness, you're full of forgiveness. 
right? When people wrong you, when life doesn't go the way that you plan, and there is a root of anger or bitterness, I didn't plan this out. That's not what I expected. Uh, Man, we need forgiveness. I need forgiveness on a daily basis. All right, so let's look at those three things quickly today before we get into time just sharing, talking back and forth with Nate. And so, uh, guys, let's look at the first one, full of prayer, right? And this is found in um, Acts chapter 7, verse 59. It says, while they were stoning him, and and they is the, the religious council, right? Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit, right? And all throughout the Bible, and especially in Acts, prayer precedes nearly every significant event. We see that in the Bible, and we see that especially here in Acts. It is fervent and persistent prayer in Acts chapter 1 that precedes the coming of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. Right? The lame man was healed as Peter and John made their way to the temple for prayer in Acts chapter 3. The church's prayer for boldness was dramatically answered in Acts chapter 4, 23-31. The apostles prayed and then laid hands on the seven deacons, and they anointed the, uh, to the oversee the widows, Uh, so that they could devote themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word in Acts chapter 6. Then we see Stephen's prayer in Acts chapter 7 as he was being stoned to death. And then lastly, we see Paul and Silas. They were praying as he was being stoned. uh, They were singing hymns, sorry about that, of praise just before the earthquake released them and paved the way for the conversion of the Philippian jailer and and his family in Acts chapter 16. All throughout scripture, the Bible, when God's... uh, people are moved to prayer, God is moved to action and did great and mighty works. That was then, and I still believe we have access to that same power this morning. It's amazing. So first we see Peter is is full of prayer. He cries out to God. Not only that, we see that he's full of compassion, right? And, And we see that starting, and we're going backwards, but in chapter 6, verse 1, in the midst of an argument, who is getting left out, right? The widows. The widows were being neglected. They were being overlooked in the daily um, distribution of food, right? And, and how true is that still today? Oftentimes, who gets overlooked? Well, the poor, the marginalized, the outsider. And why we're having the, uh, like the, theology debates about who's right and who's wrong, the outsiders are being marginalized. And James speaks to this point. He makes this whole religion thing pretty easy. He sums it up in James chapter 1, verse 27. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God, the Father, means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world, the world corrupt you. Right? That, that's pretty simple. What's difficult is actually doing it. It's easy to read it. It's easy to internalize it. But to actually live it out, man, to get my hands dirty, here we see Jesus saying, this is true religion. See why the religious council and uh, the Pharisees hated Jesus, right? So not only full of compassion, but lastly, we see full of forgiveness. And I'm going to read a little bit of a section here um, in Acts chapter 7, 54 through 60, so that you can kind of get the context, right? And then I'm going to compare, contrast two major characters, right? And as you're hearing this, if, as I'm reading uh, reading it and you're reading it, think if it reminds you of anybody, right? But Acts chapter 7, verse 54 says this, when they heard this, that's the religious council, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, 
looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God, Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Pause real quick. There's, there's a tangent. Where else in Scripture do you see Jesus standing? Mostly, he's described as seated at the right hand of God. That's an interesting side note. Standing at the right hand of God. Verse 56 says, look, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Stephen, I believe, filled with the Holy Spirit, full of knowing, experiential knowing who the God of Jacob is, in the midst of persecution, was able to do something only recorded one other time in Scripture, and that's forgive his persecutors, right in the midst of it. And as Stephen faced death, it's possible that he was following the example of Jesus, right? Jesus in his final moments. We see that in Luke chapter 23. And check out kind of this parallel. I don't really have it up there, but you can, if you want, write it down and look at it. Luke chapter 23, verse 46 says, Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And here we see in Acts chapter 7, verse 59, as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then in Luke chapter 23, verse 34, we see, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Then back in Acts chapter 7, verse 60, and falling on his knees, he cried out with uh, with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Now, I began by saying, By no means is life a formula, meaning do this, don't do that, or do all the right things, don't do all the bad things, and if you do that, then your life will be blessed, and you will be, you'll have a great, a great life, worry-free. Actually, it's quite the opposite. I'm talking about a hope and a perspective in life that when, and not if, when life storms rage, We have a refuge and a hope in a God who is faithful and true to his promises. And that brings me to just a time of sharing with my brother-in-law, Nate. And Nate, um, let's see, it's been about, what, four years now since I've known you. And in that time, Nate was diagnosed three-ish, three and a half years ago with ALS, also known as Lou Gehrig's disease. And it attacks the nervous system, right? And it weakens the muscles, and it impacts pretty much all physical functions, except for his mind. Man, he is quick-witted. If you ever want to be humiliated at Jeopardy, just hang out with Nate, and he will destroy you. (laughs) Right? But I have seen Nate in a whole different light. And how I explained him earlier still reigns true. I look at him as an example that, man, if, if I was in the same place, I have no idea how I would respond. And, and so with that in mind, I asked Nate if he would be willing to kind of just come up here, talk through a couple questions, interact, and uh, hopefully, hopefully bring some encouragement to any one of you 
out there that feel like they're in the midst of life's storms. So, you ready for this, Nate? Yeah, awesome. <clears throat> all right, so Nate, when, when you hear the word hope, all right, when you hear the word hope, where does your mind go? A lifesaver. No, not the candy. The red and white flotation rings that the Coast Guard has on their boats. I've always had a very visual mind so that image is kinda seared into my brain whenever the word hope is mentioned. In a less literal sense, when I think about hope, I'm bewildered. It's completely intangible, yet we quantify it. When we're at our most desperate, we'd give anything for a sliver of hope. When we're content and optimistic, we're full of it, literally hopeful. As an ALS victim I'm constantly looking for the sliver of hope that a cure will be available soon. As a Christian, I'm hopeful that if that doesn't happen, this life isn't but a poorly written prologue. Yeah. And Nate, what I resonate is where you say, literally hopeful. Hopeful. Full of hope. You know, and that, that glimmer of hanging on to will a cure come about. Um, and, and if you guys don't know Nate's story, man, I would encourage you to go find him on Facebook and, and befriend him because he has some pretty amazing thoughts that he goes through um, that he um, writes out. And, and he has an amazing computer that is able to track his eyes. And he wrote a post uh, a month ago. And in this post, man, he talks about life, perspective, and, and this idea of hope and it is phenomenal. So I go find him on Facebook, read that post. It's, it's incredible. But he has been doing some incredible things for PALS, which are people with ALS, um, all around this nation. He designed a ribbon. He sends them out with an encouraging word. And, I mean, it is phenomenal. And, and the people that he has been able to touch, the stories that he's been able to hear um, and interact with, with the help of his family, is unbelievable. And I would imagine offers a glimmer of hope. And so thank you, Nate. Thank you for sharing that. Um, how about this, Nate? Talk to me about the word perspective and how it has shaped your outlook on life. During my formative years, I read an essay by C.S. Lewis called The Weight of Glory. Though it isn't one of his more notable works, it framed eternity in a whole new way for me. One quote stood out to me. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit, immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. That quote really opened my eyes and gave me more of an eternal perspective. Naturally, I become myopic occasionally, and the tyranny of the urgent makes me lose that focus on eternity, but whenever I do, I reread the weight of glory, and it always helps me refocus. Yeah. And Nate, man, I, I can relate to that as well. And, and where my mind goes listening to that is, is not only myself, but also the, the story of the disciples on the sea. And Jesus had just told them, you will go to the other side. Let's go to the other side. And in the midst of the storm, I mean, it couldn't be, you know, a couple hours later, here they are, scared to death, fearing for their life, forgetting 
his promise. And, and so when, when you say, I become myopic, and how C.S. Lewis's words here refocus you, I totally can relate with that. And um, it, it is so easy where the, the issue at hand, and for the disciples, the storm raging in that little boat becomes their focus. And how, like, dominating that can be, right? And so, uh, man, thank you for sharing that, uh, and especially that perspective, how he uses a, an author like C.S. Lewis to help refocus you. He uses his word. Sometimes he uses people just to come alongside and say something to refocus us. And so, thank you. All right, how, Nate, how has your relationship with Christ deepened, grown, and, and even suffered as well in the midst of all of this? Upon getting the news that I was dying in basically the most terrifying way I could imagine, I was in disbelief. I mean physically I felt fine. So for weeks I was in denial. I mean God loved me. He wrote a whole book about it. It's kinda a big deal. So why would he let this happen to me? Why weren't the devil worshipping rapists all getting ALS? For a while, my faith suffered. But eventually, he demonstrated that the greater the devastation, the greater the opportunities for him to be glorified. And that's kind of the whole point to living in this broken world, to glorify God. Yeah, and I would lie if I did not admit that I have thought the same thoughts. Man, here is a young man who has his life ahead of him, and, and there are those others, right, those devil-worshipping rapists. And, and Lord, why not them? And in the midst of that, man, I am asking the wrong question because here we are now. And God, what are we going to do with this? And that, and that is not an easy place to come to, right? And there's wrestling, there's struggling, there's crying out, there's anger, right? Um, there's brokenness. And, and in my mind, John chapter 9, the story of the blind man who was born blind, and everyone thinking, wow, there must be sin in his life that he was born blind. And Jesus says, no. One purpose, that I might be glorified. Uh, that is mind-blowing, right? So as you guys are typing your questions in uh, and you want to know about that, don't ask because I don't know. <laughs> uh, but why does God allow that? And, and like you said, the only answer is to glorify God. And... and um, that takes a while to get to, to understand that. Thanks, Nate. Thanks for sharing that. Um, so, Nate, what would you say to someone who finds themselves, maybe this morning, right now, listening in the midst of life's storms, looking for hope, looking for hope possibly through a new perspective? Toughen up, buttercup. Ha ha, I'm kidding, mostly. It'll sound cliche, but hang in there. Most of life's storms would blow right by if we just hunker down and keep our eyes on Jesus. It's when we react emotionally to things we can't control that we get into trouble. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control aren't contingent on your position in life. No storm or external influence can dictate the fruits in your life. Only you can control them. And if you're fruitful, storms will be a lot less stressful and scary. Yeah, ain't that the truth? Uh, one thing I love about that is 
that's a picture of Nate's um, uh, just lightheartedness. He has a great sense of humor, and, and I love it. He's very quick-witted, and I enjoy that. Um, but toughen up, man, you know, and uh, gosh, it, it, I love that, that aspect of it. But this idea of control, right, of control, when things are out of control, I mean, that is a scary place to be. When, when you have a plan for your life, and then all of a sudden you get derailed, out of nowhere, Lord, I, I didn't plan this. This wasn't part of my plan. Well, come on now. I mean, I trust you, God, but l- let me take care of these details over here so I can control something, right? And then all of a sudden, bam, gone and out of control. And, and for me, that feeling, it, it can be terrifying. It can be terrifying. And, and, and going back to the disciples, you know, on the, on, uh, on the sea, in the midst of the storm, I would imagine there's a sense of no control. They're out of control. And they're in need of a Savior who can calm the seas, right? And, and I know when, when external things are going on and I'm out of control, and things I can't control, there's also a battle raging internally for me that, that is hard for me to control. And, and the only thing that begins to calm that is God's Word, talking to God. Just saying, all right, Lord, you know this. You know what's going on. This didn't catch you off guard. You have to step in here. And, and he did then, and I believe he can still do the same today. And so, Nate, when you shared that, man, that's, that's where my mind went. I was, I was resonating with that. And, and, and maybe one last question, if you're okay with that. Um, and, and we're all leaving a legacy, right? We're all leaving a legacy on the canvas of life. And, and what do you want, Nate, your legacy to be? Man, I'd be lying if I said that I wouldn't like to have a wife and kids and another 40 years in this life. I'm hoping to be restored, and I couldn't imagine anything more beautiful. But really, what matters is impacting souls. If I can say or do something that impacts someone the way that C.S. Lewis essay influenced me all those years ago, I think that would be something worth leaving behind. If I can help even one person's soul, point one soul to, or back to, Jesus, that's a win. Yeah, amen to that. That, that needs no explanation, right? And that um, a hope is that one person hearing, no matter where they're at in life, no matter what the state, that um, they would see Jesus. Whether that's a come back to Jesus moment or it's a... Um, uh, just an, uh, an encouragement in the midst of all of this going on, out of control, man, Jesus, I need you. I need you. And so, man, Nate, thank you. And uh, are, are we going to take communion? So if, if you're willing, just hang up here with me as, as we do communion together. Um, and uh, so, <clears throat> guys, if that spoke to you this morning, uh, like it spoke to me, um. And you find yourself in a tough place. Maybe you felt, okay, I can, I can hang on for a week, maybe two weeks in the midst of all this quarantining and, and COVID. And, and holy moly, this stuff is getting stretched longer than I can imagine. And stuff is just going on externally. And the battle is raging internally. Right? And if you find your, 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 your mind, your heart in that place this morning, 
I want to toss out just a couple quick encouragements before we take communion together. All right? And, and um, Galatians 5.18 says this, But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation of the law of Moses. Right? When you are directed and filled by the Spirit. And so think about that this morning, because all of us are being led and directed by something. Whether it's culture, whether it's pressures, fears, insecurities, something. Something is leading us. And if you find yourself there this morning, I want to call to you to surrender those fears, to be led by the Holy Spirit, to allow the Holy Spirit to lead you. And, and something that my wife and I did on the way home a couple days ago um, is not only just lay them out in your mind, but literally write them out. Write them out. Write them out and hand them over to God. So I want to challenge you, do that. Do that right now. Right? Do you need direction, leadership? Do you need a guide? Well, the good news is the Holy Spirit does that as well. Psalms 32 verse 8 says, the Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. And man, we can trust that God will counsel and teach us. What, what a promise, right? That God will teach you. He'll teach us with his spirit and he'll lead us in his perfect path. So if you're feeling like you don't have direction right now, you're worried or anxious or led by something else, why don't you take a moment right now and ask God to lead you? And do that right now. Because in John chapter 16, verse 13, and we'll close with this. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. Guys, this morning, trust that the Holy Spirit, that the spirit of truth will guide you. That the, that, that the promises to guide us, to lead us into truth and in the way that we should go. Rather than being led by culture, by news, by statistics, by propaganda, all that can produce fear. Rather be led by the truth of God's word, applied to your heart by the Spirit himself. Amen? Amen. I think at this time now we're going to take some questions. All right? Take some questions. So let's see what we got. And uh, Nate, I'll, I'll let this uh, be up to you. You're, you're on this one. In what ways do we reject the Lord today? In what ways? Whew. Um, gosh. You mean, in what way did I reject him this morning? Um, I think when uh, it's, it's a mindset, right? Because Jesus is always after the heart. And the Pharisees are all about external. And, and they were doing some great things, actually. We always give them a bad rap. But they were doing a lot of good things with the wrong heart. And Jesus condemns that. He hates that. And so I would say the way we reject the Lord today is when we put the Lord on the altar of our heart. When we put our, I'm sorry, when we put ourselves on the altar of the heart rather than the Lord. And so put that in any, um, put that in any circumstance that you find, and that's how you reject the Lord. When you say my way rather than his way, right? My way rather than his way. One, one other way, too, is, is um, the, the two greatest commandments are love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul. Um, and then the second 
is um, love others, right? Well, when we flip that around and we love self, we naturally don't do the second, right? Because where we're all about self, oftentimes who gets overlooked are others, which is the second greatest commandment, right? And so when we're loving self, um, we forget about others. And uh, so I, w- I would say that's one way that, that we reject the Lord today, just the altars of our heart. And that, that again, is also a whole other t- uh, sermon talking about altars. Good question, though. Nate, you got anything on that? Or you, you, you agree? Looks like you're typing some. Is that it? I think just underestimating him. Yeah, underestimating him. Oh, man, that is, that is right on. In, in underestimating that the God who took the Egyptians or the Israelites out of slavery and provided a path for them is the God that we serve today. I, I, I totally agree with that, Nate, and that's a great point. Is that next question there? Would you be willing to give your life up for your belief in Jesus? Is that a death threat? Uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, would, would I be willing to give your life up for, your, for my belief in Jesus? I would certainly say I would hope in the moment, yes. I have a lot to live for. I've got a great family, great friends, um, a wonderful wife. And, um, and so would I be willing? Well, that's kind of what this whole book and what I've devoted life to is getting to know a Jesus who did that for me. And so would I be willing to do that for him? Oh, man, I sure hope so. I sure hope so. Nate? Yes. (laughs) To the point. Oh, man, are you able to forgive that deeply? Uh, In myself, no. No. Uh, Some of you who know my story... Uh, and, and if you ever want to, zoom, we can Zoom. <laughs> um, but uh, it took me a while to be able to learn how to forgive radically. Oh, I forgave in word, but to radically forgive, which means my heart, my mind, my soul, everything, it took a while because bitterness, which crept in, where I wanted the worst things to happen to the people who wounded me the most, um, that took a lot to do to undo. And so I would say when Jesus began to attack those things and to, and to, to um, have me surrender those things, um, I, I, it wasn't easy. It was not easy. And, and I held on to those things. Um, and, uh, but as those things began to break down and as I began to surrender those things, man, I can say now wholeheartedly that anyone who has, who has wounded me, I have forgiven. And I feel like I feel like I'm in a place where I pray for those that God would um, do the same in their lives as well. And so uh, it, it took a while, though, to be able to forgive that that deeply uh, and, and, and still do. I mean, it's not like I do it and then it's gone. I, I feel like there's times, too, where it just creeps in and, and I have to be reminded, okay, Lord, there's something that only you can handle. And so I give it to him. I give it to him. I write it down. Okay, there you go, Lord. You know. You know what that is. 
Nate, you want you want to tackle that one? If you didn't know, he he types uh, with a computer called Toby, and it follows his eyes. I mean, it is amazing what he has the ability to do. Um, and so, I mean, he's working away on that, and that's pretty that's pretty impressive. Forgiveness is a process, not an event. Forgiveness is a process, not an event. Yeah, beautiful. We got time for one more. Uh, why does God need, want all that glory? It's <laughs> a good question. Well, it would begin with the idea if you believe that God needs something, then you're mistaken. Uh, God doesn't need anything. Um, I think it goes back to all he wants is our hearts, and that's it. Um, when he sees a heart that is broken and for him, I think that brings him the most glory. Uh, but, you know, could God create a rock so big that he couldn't move it? It's just a silly question. And God does not need glory, uh, and he doesn't need us. Um, but he created us uh, in his image to be, his, to, be, to be like his image bearers. And that's in Genesis 1, 26. Um, and, and in doing so, that we can love him in return. And I think that is what delights God the most, just knowing that, we, that he has our hearts. I think that's what he's after. So uh, does he need it or want it? Probably not need. Does he want it? Absolutely. In the same way that in a, rela- in a right relationship, your earthly relationships, when you, when you know something's forced, you can kind of tell. Uh, and if you can't right away over time, it begins to reveal itself. Um, if it's just forced and out of duty, um, that will begin to break down. And I think a lot of times in the same way with our relationship with Christ, that begins to break down because it's transactional. We say, okay, God, you do this, I'll do this, and then, and then it'll equal this. And in and, and God's economy, it doesn't really operate that way. Um, and, and, and the crazy thing is that when we don't do the things that we're supposed to do, um, he loves us nonetheless because he has already paid the price. And so um, I, I see it that um, when he has our heart and he is willing to allow us to go through life's storms to get our heart, to get our heart. So uh, not sure if that answered it, but Nate, you, you got any thoughts on that? Or? While he's typing, if any other questions? Cool. All right. We'll come back to that. You nailed it. Oh, <laughs> thanks. Thanks. Um, do you think America has minimalized the power of repentance? Uh, I will, I will steal a phrase from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, I think that we have cheapened it. We have definitely cheapened it, um, in, in that, um, Seach Nate Arnold on, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I would say that we've cheapened it. 
I think it's it, like Nate had said earlier, um, it's a process, right? And, and we want something uh, in microwave fashion, quick and easy, um, that it is that it is um, easy to just say the words. And so uh, we've cheapened it. I mean, if we truly knew the, the price that was paid the, for costly, which is the opposite of cheap, costly, costly grace, um, man, it would it would wound us so much to know when we choose to put ourselves on the altars of our heart rather than God. And, and, and we do that all the time. I do that all the time. And, um, but uh, I think that we as, as, as Americans probably, probably have cheapened it. Good question, by the way. Ah, great question. How can I find Nate? on Facebook. So, uh, sorry for interrupting. No, <laughs> you're okay. All right. So if they wanted to search you on Facebook, Nate, um, I, I'm guessing it's just under Nate Arnold. Yeah. So just search Nate Arnold. And if you happen to be friends with me on Facebook, um, just go into my friends and search my friends. If you can't find them there, go into my, under my friends and you can find them there and, uh, shoot him a friend request. And, uh, he has got a post on there. That what took you almost a couple months, right? Of just plucking away of things that have been going on in his heart and his mind, um, that was an inspiration for me in actually piecing some of this together. And uh, it's on there; you can read it. It's it's pretty pretty amazing um, to read through. So, you know, Nate, thank you, thank you for being up here. Yeah, one more question. Search Nate Arnold on Facebook and look for the handsome cripple. <laughs> His words. <laughs> Handsome, absolutely. <laughs> uh, okay, do we roll over and play dead when bad things happen? How do we move to action? Do we roll over and play dead when bad things happen? How do we move to action? Oh, man. Yeah. Um, yes, we do <laughs> at times roll over. And to be honest, I think that's okay, right? Because last I checked, we're human. Uh, and uh, show me a biblical character that did not run and hide. I think I saw a meme that said, anyone that's supposed to uh, be on their way to, Je- to Nineveh, well, could you just go now, um, right? Because, because we are, um, uh, we're, we're human. We question, we get angry, we doubt. Uh, we go the opposite direction because we're human. And so, yes, we do roll over and play dead when bad things happen. And I would, I would say that in the midst of that, that's where God's able to do his greatest work. Um, he was in my life where I thought I had the reins. Um, I've got this taken care of. I've got this under control. Um, and, and all is great. That's when I was in the biggest trouble, <laughs> right? And, and that's where things continued to fall apart. And then I'd find myself face down on the ground or just angry again um, at why are these things continuing to happen. And so, yeah, we do roll over and play dead, and I think that's okay, because if it's not for that, then how would God be able to work his way in, invade, and do his best work? Um, and so how do we move to action? Well, there's, there's a couple things there that have been true in my life. The first one is um, confession. Confession is huge. To be able to just confess and get things out, this is what I'm dealing with. This is what I'm going through right, is huge. 
right? We're, we're not designed to do it on our own. We're not islands as many times as we think we are. We're not islands. And, and we're designed to get that energy out. So first one, confess it. Figure out what it is, confess it. Why is it causing this amount of fear, anxiety, or something, whatever is going on? The second one is, is not only confess it to God, but community. Confess it to people around you. People who have been there and done that um, have the ability to speak into our life in ways that we could never imagine. I remember when I got my first car, it was a, a Ford Mustang. And I was so excited. I thought it was so unique, and nobody else had it. And then I got out on Highway 49, and I was driving, and they were everywhere. And I was like, what? What in the world? I, th- I thought I had this only, you know, this only car. This is awesome, right? Um, and they were everywhere. And, and in life, that odd analogy, in life, we oftentimes think I'm the only person dealing with this. I'm the only person wrestling with this. Fill in the blank, whatever you would have it be. Uh, and in reality, you're not. It's, it's just a lie. And so the more we confess, the more we communicate that to people, ask for prayer, let people into our life, man, I think that gives us the ability to just get up, right? To get on our knees, to pray, to offer it to God, um, and then slowly and surely we stand. So that that would be uh, my answer to that. Nate, did you want to add anything to that or interrupt at all? I think it takes time to grapple with devastation. But we got to hand that crap to God. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. It takes time to wrestle with it, right? And it is. It's crap. It, it's just literally stuff that we do not know what to do with, and we got to get it. We got to get it out, <laughs> right? And so uh, the key then is once it is, we got to hand it over. I couldn't agree more. That's awesome. Guys, thank you so much for letting us um, invade your living room space, come into uh, your your house and uh, letting us be a part of that. And uh, I think we're going to close in a word of prayer. And uh, hope you guys have a blessed day. But let me pray here. Father, we just come before you this morning. And we hand everything over to you. Holy Spirit, we ask, Lord, that you would just be our guide. Father, that you would direct us, that you would guide us. And there's just so much going on competing for space in our hearts and in our minds right now. Father, in the midst of those times, Lord, let us just throw those things off, those things that easily entangle us, easily snare us, and, and, and turn our hearts and our minds to you. Spirit, that you would just guide us, direct us, that you would give us peace, that you would lead us. And Father, we thank you. We thank you for this opportunity to communicate, to talk. Um, thank you for Nate and his willingness Thank you for his family and their willingness just to to get up early and come here because it's something that they believe in. And thank you for Nate and his life, Lord, and how you are using him. Lord, this morning I ask that each one, as they're sitting in the comfort of their own home, Lord, if there's one that doesn't know you, it's feeling like life is completely out of control. Man, Lord, I pray just this morning that today they would surrender. They would give their life to you. Father, forgive me. Forgive me for putting myself on the altar of my heart. 
And this morning, I want to switch that. I want to allow you to be on the altar of my heart. I love you. And if that's you, and you prayed that prayer for the first time, I, I would encourage you to let people know. Shout it out. And, uh, and uh, welcome to the fam. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for all that you're doing and all that you're going to do. And we love you. In your name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more information, visit our website at goldcountrychurch.org.